welcome to Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here today. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Hello, hello. How's everyone doing today? Having a great day. It's a great day to be here together. Thank you for those that are joining us online, our Gateway family watching us online. Well, it's Palm Sunday. Uh, It's an exciting day, obviously, for Christians as we celebrate the triumphal entry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to Jerusalem. And obviously, we celebrate this entire week. It's known as Holy Week, heading into Easter next week. So I'm excited for this week. Um, I anticipate that God's going to move in our hearts, in our church, in all of our lives. Next Easter, I want to remind you, We'll be having two uh, different service times. We'll have a 9 o'clock and an 11 o'clock. And I want to encourage everybody here to at least invite one person. You can grab a card on your way out. You can hand it to them, leave it at the gym, leave it at a restaurant. When you leave an extra nice tip for that person. But I believe that uh, God is going to move. And most people actually said if they were invited to church on Easter or really any other day, that they would actually come. So I want to encourage you. Uh, step out, invite, pray about who God would have you invite. I believe that God's going to move. There's going to be a lot of souls saved and brought into the kingdom of God and taken out of the kingdom of darkness. So I'm excited for next week, but I'm also excited for today. Uh, we are finishing up our Against All Odds series. It's been seven parts, and today is the final message. And we've really been talking about what it looks like to live a life of faith, a life of anticipation, where we are praying and expecting for God to move in our lives and on our behalf. And it's not that we're looking for perfect, perfect conditions. It's that we're looking to a perfect God who loves us and cares about us. In the last several weeks, we've been looking at the story of Exodus. I'm going to fast forward a little bit. You can go back and you can read the rest. We're going to jump to Deuteronomy chapter 1. That's where we're going to be hanging out. Deuteronomy chapter 1. And we're going to be talking about the Israelites about to enter into the promised land. Now, I want to say the promised land does not represent heaven for us. And here's how we know that. It's because there, is no, there are no enemies in heaven. We will face no opposition in heaven. But the promised land represents the overcoming Christian life here on earth today where we're doing our best through the power of the Spirit to bring heaven here to earth. So that's what the promised land represents. And my sermon title today is simple. It's called Go and Occupy. Go and Occupy. It applied for them, but it applies for us today. Wherever we are, we are supposed to operate and be in that space and influence that space for the glory of God. We're supposed to occupy that space so God's glory and his name is made famous. And as we look at Deuteronomy, it says this. Deuteronomy actually means a copy of this law, reiterating of the law. So this is basically Moses' farewell address. He's actually not going to be the one to lead him into the promised land as we continue to read this story, or if you already know the story. But this is him retelling everything that God had done and what God wanted them to do as they stepped into it to follow the law and the many different things that God had done for them. And here's what it says in Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. I'm going to go to chapter 8 first. And it says, he says this, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, 
and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. I don't know if anybody here loved taking tests when they were growing up or if you're still taking tests and you're in school right now. I didn't necessarily love tests, but here's when it comes to the kingdom of God and the way that God operates, when we're tested, it's so that we can pass. We're not tested so that we can fail, but here's the thing we need to realize. In the natural, what they test for is knowledge, but with God, we're actually tested to see if we trust him. It's about your heart. Your heart is tested not for knowledge, but for trust. Do you actually trust God? And he's walking them through this entire journey. He gave them manna from heaven. He gave them water out of a rock, and they still complained. They murmured. They wanted the new leader, and God showed himself there. They defeated some armies, and they're, they're heading towards the promised land that God had for them. Yet they still had to walk through this journey. And they, at this time, we just read it was 40 years because they didn't make it in. But at this time, at this story that I'm about to share, it's only been about two years. And they're on the cusp of entering into the promise that God had for them. They were right on the edge of stepping into the fullness of the redemption and the relationship that God had for them. The promise that he had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob many, many years before was about to be realized. And they were going to sense and receive the promises that God had given. But there were several hindrances that prevented them from entering into the promised land. Now we'll jump to Deuteronomy 1, verse 20. I said to you, this is Moses, you have now reached the hill country of the Amorites that the Lord your God is, look at this, giving us. Look, he has placed the land in front of you. Go and occupy it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. But you all came to me and said, first, let's send out scouts to explore the land for us. They will advise us on the best route to take and which towns we should enter. This seemed like a good idea to me, so I chose 12 scouts, one from each of your tribes. They headed for the hill country and came to the valley of Eshal and explored it. They picked some of its fruit and brought, brought it back to us. And they reported the land the Lord our God has given us is indeed a good land. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God, and refused to go in. You complained in your tents. And we're going to see how many times the word complaint is mentioned today. The Lord must hate us. That's why he has brought us from Egypt, to hand us over to the Amorites to be slaughtered. Where can we go? Our brothers have demoralized us with their report. They tell us the people of the land are taller and more powerful than we are, and their towns are large with walls rising into the sky. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. But I said to you, don't be shocked or afraid of them. The Lord your God is going ahead of you. He will fight for you just as you saw him do in Egypt. And then verse 34. And when the Lord heard your complaining, just so you know, when you're complaining, God hears it. He became very angry, so he solemnly swore, not one of you from this wicked generation will live to see the good land I swore to give your ancestors. So here's what I have today. There's three points, but it's three hindrances to occupying the promises of God. Three hindrances to occupying the promises of God. And the first one is this, fear. Fear. Fear has probably left more 
God dreams on the cutting floor than anything else. Fear will prevent us from stepping into all that God has. God told them, hey, here's the land that I'm giving to you. Go ahead and occupy it. It's right there for you. I'm going to be with you. I've led you with a, uh, with a cloud up to this point. Continue to follow after me, and I am going to be the one to give you the victory. But the people actually said, you know what? We need to see the land first. Now, this seems like it makes sense on the outside. They said, hey, we want to scout it. We want to figure out the best routes, the best way to go. you got to remember, they were led by a cloud and a pillar of fire up until this point. God had been the one who had shown them the way to go, and he had told them what to do. And they said, this time, I know we're about to enter into the promise, but we can figure this one out on our own. Just let us go. Spy it out. Seems very innocent. But this was actually a subtle cue for their fear and their lack of faith. They wanted to go spy it out because many people think, well, seeing is believing. If I can just see it, then I can believe it. But many times in our, my life, and I would suppose in your life, sometimes whenever God shows us something, that could actually be the enemy to our faith. Sight can be the enemy to faith because here's how faith comes. Faith doesn't come by seeing, it comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God, that's what Romans 10, 17 tells us. So we, our faith doesn't grow whenever we see. Our faith grows whenever we take the time to hear from God and follow that direction. Because God had already told Moses and he had told the Israelites what the land was like. But this is a subtle form of them questioning God. Now, I want to say something right here. God doesn't mind you asking him questions. But there's a difference between asking questions and questioning God. Questions you ask because you want to receive information. When you're questioning somebody, it's a subtle form of accusation. And there's a big difference between the two. When we come humbly before God, he wants us to ask him questions. He has all knowledge. He wants to share his heart. He wants to share who he is. But when it's veiled accusation, it prevents us from coming fully to God because there's a lack of trust that is there. Because here's what's true, is that God seldom tells you the entire journey before you get started. And he didn't tell them everything that they were going to face beforehand either. And we've seen that the last several weeks. But God gives us a promise so that we can still have faith. How many of you have ever received something that you prayed for, but the journey to receive it didn't look anything like you thought it was going to look? Most people here, I'm sure most people watching online as well, you prayed for that job that you wanted so badly and in three months in, you were ready to quit. You prayed to go to a certain school, fill out all the applications, did all the essays, you went to that school and it wasn't like anything that you thought it was going to be and you flunked out and you had to go back home. How about this? You prayed for years and years and years that you would find your spouse. Because you knew that they would be a blessing to you, you would be a blessing to them, and then you find out it seems like it's a little bit more like a curse <laughs> than a blessing at that time. And there's counseling, and there's other things that you're going to have to walk through and navigate through. But this is something that you prayed for, something that you hope for. And we can easily let fear keep us from walking into the things that God has for our lives. Because fear wants to rob you of your purpose. Some of you have heard me share this story before I grew up in Tampa. And I, I went to a small Christian school, and I played football there. Now, the reason why I say a small Christian school is because here's what that means. That means 
if you can walk and run, you're playing on the sports team. <laughs> Period. It wasn't really a choice. I didn't necessarily, I like watching football. I didn't like playing it because your boy does not like to get hit. I'm sensitive like that. It's okay. But it was our first year doing 11-on-11 football. It was kind of the inaugural season. Everyone was excited, and we're heading towards our first game. And we're pumped on the bus. We're getting each other hyped. It was an exciting time until we got off the bus and saw the other team. (laughs) They were faster than we were. They were taller than we were. Clearly, their weight room was better than ours because they were stronger than we were. Their mascot was even better than ours. Like, we knew we were in trouble as soon as we stepped out, and fear began to set in. And I wish I could tell you, hey, we went out there, and this is like the David and Goliath story where we were David, and we crushed Goliath, but no, we lost like 63 to 7. (laughs) It was a beatdown. We weren't so excited afterwards, but during that game, I was wide receiver, and I played defense as well, because like I said, we didn't have enough bodies, so you played as much as you could. But I went to dive for a pass that the quarterback threw. It was a really bad pass. I tried to bail him out. At least that's what I'm going to say. And when I went to dive to catch the pass, my finger actually got stuck in the ground. And when I got back up to the huddle, just thinking nothing was wrong, my teammates were pointing at me. And my pinky finger, this part of it was actually right here. So I dislocated my finger, and they took me out of the game. I was kind of glad to get out of there, at least that game. (laughs) But they took me out of the game. It dislocated me from being a part of the team. And here's why I say that. Because fear will actually dislocate you from the purpose that God has for you if you let it. Fear wants to take you out from where God has placed you and for what God has called for you to walk into. Because as the spies went to the promise and they came back, one of the things they all agreed upon is this. The, the land that God said was good is indeed a good land. The fruit is abundant. It's an incredible land. I call it the land of milk and honey, but my modernization of it is the land a bluebell and Chick-fil-A. Come on, somebody. <laughs> That's what I, my modern translation is. Sorry, once again, I think weird thoughts when I read the Bible. But I was like, that would kind of draw me in. That's the promise that God is taking us into. But that should have been the only piece of evidence that they needed. But how many of you know we see things differently than other people do? You can see the same piece of evidence and come to a different Conclusion. See, and that's what really perspective is. Perspective is not what you see, it's how you see. Some people can look at the same thing and come up with a totally different conclusion, which prevents them from coming in. You had two that were like, hey, let's go, let's move now. God can give us the land. And on the other side, you had 10 that said, there's absolutely no way that we can move forward and take this land because who is in it? But it all came down to what they focused on. See, the ten spies focus on themselves. They focus on themselves, and pride will have you focusing on your own strength. But the interesting thing on the other side is they focus on themselves and then became insecure because pride and insecurity are two sides of the same coin. You can be prideful when you feel you're powerful enough, and on the other side, you can be insecure when you feel like you're weak. But if we would change our focus, not on pride or insecurity, but in humility to simply obey God, we can ultimately get the victory when we focus on him. Because Moses told them that God was already going ahead of them to fight for them. 1 John 4.18 says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears 
has not been made perfect in love. So let's, let's talk about this for a second. Fear is actually a love problem. Whenever you're walking in fear in your relationship with God and not trusting him, it's an indication that you're not fully realizing how much God loves you. I have four kids, and whenever they were younger, I used to put them on my back. They're a little bit bigger now, so I don't do it as often. Uh, and I used to spin them around as fast as I could. It was the most fun thing for me to watch because I place them down, they get dizzy, and they just stumble all over the place. I would catch them. There was no danger involved. Don't worry. No one got injured. But it was one of my most fun things to do. And I remember my oldest daughter, Addie, I'm going to share several stories about her. She was, I told her, I was like, hey, when you jump on my back, you're going to have to hold on to my neck as tightly as you can. I don't want you to fall off. So you're going to have to hold on as tightly as you can. Don't let go. Don't let go, okay? So I would spin her as fast as I can. And every single time, inevitably, she would let go. Now, how many of you think she hit the floor or the wall as hard as she could? Obviously, no one here thinks that. Why? Because I was holding her. She had no fear because she knew that someone was holding her that loved her. We have a father who loves us and is holding us, and our grip on him is nowhere near as tight as his grip on us. And we need to hold on to that truth today. To not let fear rob us from what God has for us. So that's the first hindrance, is fear. Here's the thing, second one, discouragement. Discouragement, he said, don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. Here's why, God's actually giving this to you. It's a gift that God wants to give to them. But 10 of the spies came back with a negative report and that report actually altered their lives. We need to be careful who and what we're listening to because that will shape who we ultimately become. All of their life, they were following the cloud. And this is the one place where they got in trouble as well as many others. And here's when they got in trouble, where instead of following the cloud, they began to follow the crowd. They began to follow what everyone around them was saying instead of following what God had for them. Here's what discouragement means. Discouragement will ultimately lead you to feeling hopeless. But if you just... Look at the word for a second. Encourage means to put courage in. Simple. Discouragement means to take out courage. This is why it said they were demoralized by the report. It literally means their heart melted. I don't know if any of you have ever received news that has called your, caused your heart to melt. That has discouraged you. That has brought you down. Numbers 14, 1 through 4. This is their response. It said, then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Think about that response. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If we had only died in Egypt, or even here in the wilderness, look at this, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, let us choose a new leader, and go back to Egypt. So how can you tell if you or someone else is discouraged? There's two ways. One, exaggeration. And the other one is when you begin to fantasize about the past. You make it seem better, look better than it ever was. The exaggeration was, when we read it earlier, it's like the city is fortified, it has walls up to the heavens, there's absolutely no way 
The people are large. There's absolutely no way that we're going to be able to go in and defeat them. And in their sight, we're grasshoppers. Now, I don't know why they chose grasshoppers. I might have said an ant, maybe, because that's a little bit smaller. But for some reason, they said grasshoppers, that's how they're going to look at us. That's how they're going to see us. There's no way we're going to have the battle. They exaggerated this whole entire thing. And here's the thing we need to realize. They said, we want a new leader to take us back to Egypt. And here's what you need to realize. They've said they wanted a new leader, but what they actually wanted was a new God. Because God was not going to take you back into bondage. He's not going to take you back into Egypt where he set you free from. And he's transforming you and renewing you. He's not going to take you back to the past. Because that's not where he's called for you ultimately to be. So they complained and were upset because God would not make it easy. And during this entire time, God says, I'm trying to make you stronger. So many times we want it easy. Over the last several weeks we've seen, they just want it easy. And it, I, really, I feel like it mirrors us. But God's like, I'm not here to make it easy. I'm here to make you stronger because the battles and the things I have ahead for you, you need to be stronger in this moment in order to get the victory. So what do we do when we get discouraged? I'll tell you a very practical way. I was talking with a friend of mine one time, and he's in ministry. And he began to share with me uh, how he deals with discouragement. I was like, hey, this is a great idea. I'll share it with everyone else. He says, I actually have an I want to quit folder. And I want to quit folder. Now, it seems a little awkward. Give me one second. I'm going to explain what's in the folder. So there's those times where he just found it very hard. Times where he was down. Times where he just wanted to quit. Times where he may have been overwhelmed. And he said, I would go to this I want to quit folder. And here's what would be inside as he opened it up. It would be scripture. It would be words of encouragement. It would be letters that people have written to him about how God used him to change their lives. And here's what it did. It gave him hope in the midst of a discouraging time. And I encourage all of us to do it because we all need hope. We also all need other people around us to strengthen us and encourage us. But don't quit because of discouragement. Continue to walk forward believing the word of God because he's faithful and just. So that's the second thing, discouragement that will hinder us from occupying the promises of God. And here's the third thing, unbelief. Unbelief. We're in the series Against All Odds. We're talking about anticipation. We're talking about faith. Well, this generation had actually reached the end of their faith in God. They said there's no way you can take us into the promised land. There's absolutely no way that you can lead us to the place where you said but here's the weird thing about unbelief. It actually presents itself as something that makes sense, something that's factual, not realizing that the most factual and the most truthful thing that we could ever believe is that the God who created the universe loves us, cares for us, is all-knowing and all-powerful can actually do what we may think is impossible. That's what makes the most sense, to remember what he's done in the past because that's what Satan loves to do. He loves us to forget what we should remember and tries to get us to remember what we should forget. He would love for you to forget the past victories that God's done in your life. The way that he saved you, the way that he healed you, the way that he made you whole. He would love for you to forget those things. And he would love for you to remember the past sins. 
and weigh you down with shame and weigh you down with guilt. So you're unbelieving, you're not able to walk into everything that God has for us. But here's the sign of unbelief to me. Complaining is. When you begin to complain, that word is make an accusation against God. Because here's what complaining is ultimately. Complaining is actually bearing false witness against God. When you complain and accuse him, you're actually coming against God's character. They literally said God hates us. That's why he sent me here. He sent me out here for me and my family to die. That's exactly why he sent us here. And they went through this line of thinking when God had provided for them so much in so many ways and shown himself faithful that they decided to come against the character of God. There's a quote by Tim Keller that really sticks out to me as I was studying this. And it says this. It should come up on the screen. If you can't imagine a God infinitely wiser and more loving than you, then you won't be able to trust him and grow in grace. The most basic wisdom, think about this. The most basic wisdom is to trust the character of God who suffered, who has suffered and died in Christ Jesus for you and who will not withhold anything necessary for your ultimate joy. That's the God that they should have trusted. And the most basic wisdom is to trust in him, a God who is willing to give his own son for us. But they walked in unbelief instead. Hebrews 3.16 says this, And who was it who rebelled against God, even though they heard his voice? Wasn't, wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? And then verse 19, So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter into his rest. This generation, at this time, they never got to see the promised land. They never got to step into it. They rebelled ultimately against God and because of their rebellion they were kept out of the promised land. Here's what the word rebel means. It means to revolt or flagrantly disobey a recognized authority. To revolt or flagrantly disobey a recognized authority. So here's what rebellion is. Rebellion is choosing not to recognize God's authority in your life. Anytime we choose to go our own way instead of God's way we're rebelling against him. And rebellion is always a byproduct or a child of unbelief. The more unbelieving you are, of course you want to go your own way because you don't believe that God has anything good for you. You believe that God is actually against you. And the entire generation forfeited the promises of God. But not only that, the next generation after them were caused to wander and wonder. They wandered in the wilderness for many years that they did not have to. But God said, your children, the ones that you said would die, I'm actually going to take them in and you're actually all going to die here in the wilderness. Because ultimately, if you're unbelief, you'll never enter into the rest that God has. But their rebellion wasn't done after not going in. After God said, now you're supposed to go to the wilderness, they then tried to go and take the land on their own. And they were about to learn a very harsh lesson. And one that we have to learn as well is that you can't have the promise of God without the presence of God. Those two come together. We're supposed to seek after his presence, seek after him, not the promises. They thought they could fight on their own, but they were utterly destroyed. And it said they were not able to enter into the rest. But I believe Jesus today gives all of us an invitation to come to the place where we're able to rest in him. Matthew 11 
Verse 28 through 30 says this. It's a verse we may have heard, but if you, ha- if you haven't, I want you to lean in during this time. It says, then Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. But I want you to notice something. His invitation is first to come be with me, not go do for me. Come be with me. Spend time with me. Come to me first. Don't make yourself weary by so much activity. It's a call to intimacy, not activity. He's calling you to be close to him. Come be with me. Yes, there's a calling that he has for you. Yes, there's a mission that he has for your life that's part of the church because he's called you to be a part of his body. But first he says, come and be with me because so many of us are weary because we're trying to do things under our own power and under our own strength. And this word burdens here isn't burdens that you place on yourself. It's actually burdens that you've allowed another person to put on you. Parents, friends, jobs, kids, whatever it is, we're carrying burdens that are ultimately weighing us down and making us tired. But I think it's interesting. He says, take my yoke upon you. And he says, let me teach you. Here's why. Because many times we have to be taught not to do things on our own. Not to do things that will make us weary, not to take on the burdens of the world to where they are weighing us down. And he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's what he's saying. Let me connect with you. Connect your life to mine. Let me lead you. Let me guide you. This word easy is the Greek word krestos. C-H-R-E-S-T-O-S. You're going to learn Greek all the time here. I'm telling you, you're going to be proficient in Greek by the time this is all said and done. But here's what that word means. It actually means well-fitting. He's saying, my yoke is well-fitting. Let me say it a different way. My yoke is tailor-made just for you. The yoke that I have for you is tailor-made. It's fitted just the way I designed you, just the way I created you. So that's why it feels heavy whenever you try to carry someone else's yoke that God never intended for you to carry. He created you and designed you a certain way because he has a destiny and a good plan for your life. But when you're trying to copy someone else, when you're looking at someone else, when you're getting jealous, when you're getting envious, that's when it becomes heavy. But he has something tailor-made, well-fitting for you. And this is what they used to do. I actually have a picture of a yoke. And they used this. It was a very agricultural society. And they would put two oxen next to each other. But here's what they would do they would put an experienced ox next to an inexperienced oxen. And here's what would happen. As they began to walk, the experienced one would train and lead the less experienced ox. As a matter of fact, they would carry most of the weight so that the inexperienced one was taught how to walk and they were able to walk side by side. So here's what Jesus is saying in this moment. Let me walk with you. Let me teach you. That if you walk with me at the pace that I have for your life and the grace that I have for your life, not looking at the world, not looking at other people, but ultimately following me, the yoke that I give you is easy and the burden that I have for you is light. And here's why. Because he's the one carrying it with you. So we have to come to the place 
where we remove unbelief and doubt and come to him and find rest for our souls. We just celebrated a birthday this past week again. Uh, our youngest son is now three, so now we have a seven-year-old, a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a three-year-old. Uh, my wife is a real hero in our family, <laughs> clearly. But there's many times where I'll take him for a ride in my car, and they'll speak something, and I'm just like, oh, that was so good. I call it car ride theology, as a matter of fact. I've given a name to it. <laughs> car ride theology. They'll say something, and I'm like, ooh, that, that actually is what I'm missing in my relationship with God, and it happens all the time. They'll just say something, and I take it as if it's my own, and I share it with y'all. It's great. <laughs> but we were riding uh, in my car. We always take the kids to get donuts whenever it's their birthday. I know it's not healthy, but we, we do that. And we, were, we had just moved here to the area, the Houston area, and we um, were looking for a donut place. It was my daughter Addie's birthday. She hopped in the car with me early in the morning. We went to get donuts for her and for the rest of the kids. And as we were driving, she was sitting right next to me on the driver's side, but in the, in the second seat. And we were driving up to the place, and I could see the donut shop up ahead. But from where she was sitting, the perspective she had, she could actually not see it. So I said, hey, there's a donut shop. And she was looking, she was looking, she said some profound words that I hope we catch. She said, I can't see it, Daddy, but I believe you. I can't see it, but I believe you. And it just hit me. How many times can I not see something where if I would just simply believe and trust God because he sees the end from the beginning, I would get to the place that he had for me and it would be a place of his rest and a place of his strength and the place that he desires for me to be. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Every single week at Gateway Church, if you're new with us or you've been with us a while, you know we ask this question. What is the Holy Spirit saying to me through this message? I mean, we want to give everyone an opportunity to respond. Some of us, we may need prayer. But we want to have the opportunity to pray with you. We should never be embarrassed to receive prayer. They prayed for me even before I came out here. Some of us, in the moment, we're about to respond in worship after I pray for all of us. But what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Are there areas of your life where there's fear that is crippling you from walking out all that God has for you? For some of us, we may be discouraged. Things aren't looking the way that we may have thought they were. The way that we thought they, we wanted them to be, the way that we thought they were going to be. And that's begun to weigh us down. But you may be in another place today and you may say, hey, I'm walking, there's unbelief in my heart that's preventing me from ultimately resting in the place that God has for me to rest. I want to encourage all of us, let's lay that down. Let's give it to him. He's the only one who can carry it. Let's cast our burdens upon him for he cares for us. And in a moment, I'm going to pray for all of us and we're going to stand and go back into a time of worship. But I want us during this time to really lean into what God has for us because he wants to give us peace. He wants to give us joy. And I believe as we praise him and go back into worship, the heaviness that will be, may be upon our lives will begin to fall off as he does a supernatural work and we encounter him.
So Father, right now, I thank you for every single person here in this room watching with us online. I thank you for the call that you have upon their lives. I thank you for what you're walking them into. I thank you that we would be people that are yoked up to you. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, that you would, we would follow you every step of the way. Give us wisdom. Give us grace. Remove the fear. Give us courage today. And help us to be people that say, even when I can't see it, I believe you. I trust in you. And I just pray right now that you would overwhelm every single person here with your richest blessings. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. joining us today. If you live in the Houston area or are in town for a visit, we would like to invite you to join us for a service. For service times and location, or more information about Gateway Church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Have a blessed week.